Welcome to the IAF Global Regulatory Update Podcast. I'm Martin Boer, the Director of Regulatory Affairs at the Institute of International Finance. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Ernst & Young, EY, Financial Practice Leaders, Sonia Korner, Chris Woolard, and Mark Watson, to discuss the findings of our new and latest EY IIF 2021 report on global bank risk management priorities. Sonia Korner is the EY Global Banking and Capital Markets Risk Leader. Chris Woolard is the chair of the EY Global Regulatory Network. And Mark Watson is EY America's Financial Services Organization Center for Board Matters Deputy Leader. We're going to be discussing the key findings from our 11th annual bank risk management survey, which has just been released and includes respondents from 88 banks from 33 countries participating. Mark, this is quite a milestone for us as we've been working on this survey together at EY and IF for 11 years now. And it's great to see you today. Can you tell us a bit about how the views of CROs have changed over that period? For example, we've really seen climate risk climb up the agenda for both CROs and their boards. And what are some of the notable variations if we look at the regional responses? Mine are always very excited to uh, launch this survey. As you said, this is our 11th. Uh, we started way back when after the financial crisis looking at risk management practices and it's been it's been a journey watching risk management evolve uh, and improve and change over the years i think this year as you said um, a lot of changing priorities we did the last survey 2019 pre-crisis or pre-pandemic um, and obviously that did have an effect credit i think we knew was piercing up because we were all expecting some kind of downturn but, but nobody nobody could have foreseen COVID 19. So obviously credit risk became a major issue. You can also see um, issues to do with disruption, cybersecurity, particularly as we work remote, become more important. But as you said, probably the most striking uh, feature was climate risk. So two years ago, when we asked uh, chief risk officers uh, their views on emerging risks over a five-year lens, uh, environmental risks were like seven or eight. They're now clearly number one. But I think even more striking that is the 12-month window. Um, really way down the agenda for CROs and boards back in 2019, now third and fourth, depending on whether we're talking about boards and CROs. So a significant shift on that side. On the five-year horizon, the other big uh, big story is really about data and technology. If you, if you look at uh, seven out of 10 of the emerging risks over the next five years are really around data, privacy, legacy systems, uh, disruption from technology. So a huge focus, and, and we can see that, and we'll touch on touch on it in the podcast, the, the change around technology and the transformation we all saw. I think, as you said, that's the big picture, but regions matter. And I think Chris and Sonia will touch on this as we go through. There were some variations. Obviously, concerns around credit really depend on the economic situation in your uh, region and country and the speed with which uh, the pandemic is being dealt with. So, you know, what's high from a credit point of view changes. Climate risk very different between Asia, Latin America, uh, North America, and Europe, or Europe probably being the one that's most focused on it, although you can see that changing in all areas. Certainly views on uh, what regulatory change we might see, um, particularly around financial resiliency and uh, operational resiliency, a lot of variations and really depends on the pace and extent of regulatory action in those uh, regions and countries over the past 10 years. And obviously the biggest uh, difference is probably around sustainable finance, environmental, social and governance and climate change. Just Not just whether it's in the view of the CRO, but how much they've done to uh, help drive 
product development, risk analysis, uh, very, very different middle levels of maturity. So big picture, really big exciting news about climate change getting up the agenda, a lot going on about um, data, technology. And then the big theme, which we'll touch on a lot throughout this podcast is resilience. So back in 2019, we really focused on the 10 big risks for the next 10 years. What we focused on this time was really resilient, extending it beyond financial and operational resiliency, which is still critical to also include technology resilience, workforce resilience, and societal resilience. And that is the big theme. How do you be a resilient bank over the next decade or more? And how do you grab some of these new opportunities presented by technology and environmental and social governance matters? Thanks, Mark. That's a great summary so far. I want to turn to Sonia. It's also very good to see you today. From your experience and your perspectives around risk management, Sonia, what are the biggest impacts on CROs and risk management? And how are the CROs and firms adjusting to these new priorities? Thanks, Martin. I mean, as Mark alluded to, there is a, a, a number of uh, emerging and, and re-emerging uh, uh, risks. Uh, clearly, over the last years, and uh, you know, if we go back as far as uh, you know, 2008, um, you know, risk functions went through a lot of change. Um, there was continued regulatory changes, heightened regulatory scrutiny. Um, so, so, so really, a, a lot of change. Um, but now, uh, the, the change, I think is way deeper and will also affect the risk function itself. And I think the biggest impact that will come on the risk function uh, itself uh, will, will really be from uh, the, the digital transformation and from the changes in technology and, uh, and, uh, and data. And um, the reason, uh, you know, wh why I believe that, and this is also reflected, of course, um, in the responses uh, that we have received from, uh, you know, CROs during the survey, is really that, you know, the deployment uh, of new and improved technology will just fundamentally change the way risks will be managed and controlled, will fundamentally change the risk operating model, and if deployed appropriately, will truly increase robustness, timeliness, and reduce cost of control significantly. Most banks see higher operating costs and increased costs of capital over the last years, definitely stemming back from 2008. There was enormous increase in, in cost and, and cost of capital, and returns of European banks are even more challenged than those of uh, North American banks. So the demand and needs to reduce cost has now also reached the risk function, and technology changes and automation will be key to realize those savings. This technology transformation will also have a fundamental impact on not just the operating models, but also on the workforce and the risk function as such, specifically on the skills required in the workforce. As the industry goes uh, through the transformation, we will need a more technology savvy workforce, much more technology savvy than employees are these days, and to enable employees to deal with ever more complex problems and issues at an ever faster pace. The CRO function increasingly needs employees who are not only deep subject matter experts, which I think typical risk employees always are, uh, but also need to be broad uh, and, and, and agile and quick in the way to adapt. Um, and attracting, uh, developing and retaining the right talent uh, will be at least as critical as delivery uh, against uh, the technology agenda. That's great. Thank you. I want to bring Chris in. It's great to have you here as well. Mark just mentioned the possible regulatory response to all these developments. Chris, given your experience at the Bank of England and FCA, what are the biggest eye-openers for you here? Thanks, Mark. 
I think there's a there's a there's a couple in here. I mean, the first is clearly the big big story is around how far banks are taking the whole ESG agenda incredibly seriously, and the seeing the growth that's in the survey from really you know very very small numbers to to around forty nine percent of the CRO saying look this is a major risk that requires our attention, and we might come back to that later and talk a bit more about what's going on with the ESG. But given the background and given the year we've had, the fact that it's come through so strongly, I think is really telling, both in terms of the size of the opportunity, but also possibly some of the size of some of the risks that are attached to this space. I think regulators looking at this report will also see some things in here that they would probably have expected to see and be quite reassured to see in some respects. So clearly, COVID, recovery from COVID, both on a uh, prudential level, certainly thinking about credit risk and those kind of things, you'd absolutely expect to see within here. But I also think the fact that that's linked very much to workforce resilience, to thinking about how you maintain culture, especially when you've got so many people potentially working at home, that's clearly a, a really important theme that runs through much of this and speaks very much to the culture agenda that we've seen regulators around the world beginning to beginning to run. On the technology front as well, I mean, partly some of the, the cyber attack footprint clearly increases because of having so many staff who are working flexibly or working from home during the pandemic. But um, more broadly, I mean, as, as, as Mark referred to, you know, seven out of 10 of the big risks are really have got technology sitting at the, at the heart of them, whether it's about disruption of the market, can you adapt in time? Can you do all those sort of things? I mean, I think from a from a regulator's point of view, they've probably been tracking this as probably the biggest thing that will change market over the next few years when you put all of those factors together in combination. Uh, and so you can imagine that, you know, that's something that will have really close attention applied to it. And then finally, it's towards the end of the report, but I think the pieces around geopolitical risk, uh, something that certainly central banks and other regulators will will pay attention to. Chris, thank you so much for those great insights. I wanted to go back to Mark. And as you say, the pandemic has been all about building up resilience. How do you think that the banks have been faring? And what are your expectations as we begin to come out of the pandemic at different speeds across the globe? Martin, I think the obvious thing to, to point out is what we all saw, which was, uh, for the most part, things worked. You saw a significant shift to remote working at scale, within days, at most weeks. Not only did employees make that transition, customers made that transition. We all started using digital uh, access to get our bank services and products. It wasn't without hiccups and we all saw that, but for the most part, the work that had been done in the prior years for 10 to 12 years on financial resilience, you know, three or four years on operational resilience paid off. In fact, we just issued a report with you, with ISDA and the uh, Financial Services Forum, which was really looking at the pivotal role banks played in uh, supporting customers, clients, and communities. It was quite terrific. That said, Chris's former brethren in the regulatory environment did turn around to institutions and say, what did you learn? Um, they, they learned a lot of things. The stress testing models put us in a good place. There was certainly ample capital liquidity, but those models were stretched to the limit. New data sets were used, new assumptions had to be baked in. So there was a lot of learnings about and expectations. There'll be a focus on how you do stress testing and really how severe are those tests? Have you got the right data set? Um, similarly, risk reporting expectations, you'll see regulatory focus on that. On the operational resiliency side, you saw a lot of realization that some of the risk frameworks weren't well integrated, particularly around data, data management, critical third parties, 
So again, a lot of lessons learned, and we kind of knew that. We were only probably three or four years through a 10-plus year transition on operational resilience, and I'm sure we'll touch on that later. So on the one hand, worked really well. Thanks, played an incredible role in supporting their economies. On the other hand, uh, ample room for prioritizing various areas of financial operational resilience. Yes, agreed. And all of that has been supported by a rapid acceleration of digital transformation and modernization, both because of the technical advances, but also because the COVID-19 pandemic has really pushed firms to speed up. Sonia, you've touched on this a bit already earlier, but how is risk management impacted by these broad changes in uh, digital transformation and technology? Yeah, digital transformation has been in the focus for a while in the past. Uh, but, but changes really were more incremental than, than transformational. And uh, through COVID, uh, we, we have seen an incredible acceleration taking place. Um, with customers demanding more digitization uh, from their banks and uh, cost pressures, as I alluded to earlier, the need for more robust, timely and cost-effective uh, risk management, uh, but also the accessibility uh, to new and emerging technology has really uh, put pressure on the, on, on the risk function uh, to, to catch up, and they do need to catch up quickly. In the responses that we have seen uh, to, to the survey, key, key areas of focus that uh, CROs and boards uh, have identified in the uh, technology journey that they need to tackle is really around the automation of controls, enhancement of risk data, modernizing core functions and platforms, deploying advanced analytics, harmonizing controls and frameworks. So it is really a, a whole sort of uh, a slew of things that the risk function will need to go through in their technology journey. And the pace and the breadth uh, of change uh, from digitization will, will both be colossal. Whilst this will give uh, risk functions the ability to manage existing and emerging risks more effectively, the way to get there, the way to deliver this, uh, you know, colossal amount of change uh, will really be a very, a very difficult one. And a lot of focus will be needed within risk functions over the next years to deliver against this change. And also, as mentioned earlier, there will be new and different skill sets required to deliver that. A whole focus on risk change profiles, people who can manage and, uh, and, and deliver uh, large scale change. Also, people you know who know about emerging technologies, right? Cloud experts, and 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 what are the risks uh, you know associated with clouds, and and what does a, a sort of robust uh, uh, risk framework you know around that looks like, and and how to deliver the change? Data analytics experts, data scientists. Uh, I guess going a few years back, right? I mean, we probably didn't think of data scientists in a in a, in a sort of banking context. Now these days we do, and uh, and and we will need more of that going forward. Also, while streamlining technology, automating controls is a path to ultimately lowering costs. However, there is a cost to achieve. Unfortunately, there is uh, investment needed to deploy new technologies. That the, there, there is cost, um, you know, associated to enhancing uh, uh, data, to to designing and implementing the appropriate controls. So indeed, uh, it is no surprise that uh, in in the survey responses uh, alluded to budgetary constraints and the scale of change required as major constraints uh, to digital uh, transformation for the CRO function. Looking at cost, uh, about two-thirds of the banks still expect cost of risk management to go up, but a bit less 
then a quota already sees a pathway to decreasing costs of risk management due to the use of technology and data. Thank you, Sonia. Costs have been going up for many reasons, including, of course, uh, the fact that firms are adjusting to the relatively new discipline of operational resilience, which is an area where the UK has long been a thought leader. Chris, I wanted to ask you, the pandemic has been a real test case, if you will, of firms to react to a massive global and extended external shock. How do you think firms have fared And what does the survey really show us about the priority areas going forward around operational resilience? Thanks, Mark. Um, Well, as Mark said, I mean, I think the first thing we have to acknowledge here is that banks in particular, I think, had a pretty good crisis. I mean, I think you saw uh, resilient systems really kicking into place. You saw, you know, in some cases, very, very large procurement programs, you know, one firm buying about 50,000 laptops to help its staff work remotely in a matter of days. So. You've got to you've got to really say to yourself that this has been an extraordinary effort by everybody who's been involved in responding to the pandemic, and also you know we need to remember that certainly for retail banks they have actually kept most of their services open in most countries at least in part throughout what is a public health crisis because of the essential role they play to society. So you know that side of the coin I think really needs credit in terms of operational resilience more generally. I mean as you say in the UK we have we've really sort of on this as an issue for for many years in terms of the regulators and i think there's a sense of actually vindication of that position and often some of the quite detailed guidance that's been given in terms of how it's helped work through the immediate shocks that are there and you can see regulators also in you know in apac and and other parts of europe as well taking that kind of stance it's it's somewhat more sort of principles based i think in terms of some of the us regulation that we see but it also i think gives quite a big clue about well where might regulators look in future but also you know from the survey where where are firms concentrating as well and there seems to be good alignment between this so partly it's around obviously things like cyber risk can you actually ensure the the integrity and the security of the networks you're operating Partly it's around resilience in terms of literally the resilience of people and the ability to kind of keep going and to deliver services. But I think there's also a sort of forward-looking component here, which is how far can you ensure that along your supply chain, throughout outsourcing arrangements and all of those things that really got very, very strongly tested and sometimes were found failing during pandemic process, How can you make sure that you've really got the most integrated set of systems that you can? And you can see firms worrying about those kinds of factors of how robust are my outsourcing arrangements, whether that's around technology or whether that's around people. And how do you see the bank as a whole operating as a single system? But I mean, there's no doubt, as I said at the start of these comments, the banking sector has managed to play a critical role during the crisis and actually come through it pretty strongly. Yeah, that's very encouraging, Chris. I think this additional focus on people is a really important one. And we've seen throughout the crisis that maintaining the focus on employee well-being and maintaining culture and collaboration in a hybrid working model has been a challenge for many of us. Sonia, how do you feel the firms have been adjusting in this area? And what changes do you think we will continue to see once the pandemic is behind us? So basically, what things that changed during the pandemic do you think will still be in place once we get back to a new normal? You know, COVID has obviously forced many of us to work, you know, from home and fully remotely almost overnight. And you're, you're right, Martin. I mean, this has been incredibly tough, right, for many of us, for individuals having to juggle 
uh, you know, a work-life balance and all that within, you know, the same sort of <laughs> four walls of, you know, managing uh, increased and ever increasing workload and, you know, family life and homeschooling at the same time. Clearly, there was a lot of concern of CROs uh, during the time for physical and mental well-being of their employers and how to deal with that. Nevertheless, uh, despite the fact that these were challenging times and in some parts of the world are still very challenging, many employers have also seen some upside in, in working from home, uh, such as an increased flexibility, uh, saving some time due to not having to commute, uh, spending more time with the family. So as a result, very few employers want to return to the office five days a week. And frankly, a number of banks also see opportunities for potential cost savings in office space uh, by not asking the entire workforce to return back to the offices uh, full time. So realistically, uh, we will keep working in some form of hybrid model. And I think what will be critical is to really work out for CRO functions what is the right model and, and how to do this, right? This is nothing that, you know, we have ever done before. CROs will need to, to figure out what works, right? What is the degree of flexibility that they want and that they can give to their employees? How prescriptive do work patterns uh, need to be that they introduce? What is the right setup, right? Is it getting, you know, some teams in, um, you know, collectively for a couple of days a week? or every other week, right? What is the frequency? What, uh, what is the need? How do you go about onboarding, um, you know, new joiners? Uh, obviously, during the pandemic, there were, you know, plenty of new joiners who have never seen, you know, their teams or their management face-to-face. Whilst this changes, still, right, we will realistically not be in the office, you know, full-time. So how do we ensure sufficient personal interaction, teaming and bonding, training uh, and, uh, and learning and development in particular uh, for, for, for the younger staff and give them all the, the you know, various demands on skill sets and knowledge and uh, changing operating models as the organizations uh, go through their digital journey. Whilst a range of collaboration tools have been ruled out during the pandemic, uh, CROs worry that uh, connectivity and collaboration has permanently degraded. And as we come out of the pandemic and move towards this, uh, you know, hybrid model, it will be key to proactively uh, foster a culture of collaboration outside of silos and across teams to improve real-time oversight and monitoring, but also to boost employee morale, to integrate new employees, to create a sense of belonging, which will in turn increase employee commitment, productivity, uh, and quality of output. Great. Thank you, Sonia. I wanted to come back to the growing importance of the impact of, of uh, climate change, which is really one of the key findings, I think, of this survey. Chris, as you look at the broader sustainable finance, ESG, climate risk field, what do you view as some of the opportunities and some of the risks here for the firms? There are clearly some really significant opportunities here. I mean, at the end of the day, governments and countries will not be able to address the kinds of issues thrown up by their commitments on climate change without mobilizing the financial services system. You know, there's been a number of leading thinkers, including Mark Carney and others, have been saying this now for a number of years. And if you look at the endorsement the G7's given, there's absolutely that sort of push now behind. So so there's a very, very big role that the financial services system's going to play. In terms then of the opportunity, though, in 2020, we saw 1.3 trillion in terms of stock of green bonds which sounds a lot, it is a lot, but on the other hand, that's only about 1% total stock of bonds issued on a global level. So 
there's still the other 99% to play for. So that's very significant in itself. From a, from a firm perspective, one of the things we see in the survey is not having evaluated fully what that opportunity might look like right now. So that in itself is really interesting. But also, though, there are a number of risks here. So clearly there are things that regulators have already flagged, questions like greenwashing, you know, can you actually genuinely understand and know that the products you're promoting as green are in fact as green as they say they are. There's clearly a whole series of questions and expectations around disclosure. And that in turn, I think, leads to a number of questions around reputational risks for firms to have to consider. So everybody sort of wants to be green at the moment. Everybody wants to be part of this agenda. But actually, are you really able to sort of follow through fully in terms of the commitments that you're making? In terms of the opportunities that present themselves from the green agenda, it's obvious that unless the global financial system really does swing behind the commitments that governments and countries have given, that those kind of targets won't be achieved. And obviously, there's been some thought leaders like Mark Carney and others have been saying this for years, but we're now seeing the G7 and others really endorsing that as a way forward. So the opportunities for firms in the ESG space are huge. And although we've already seen a lot of discussion of how valuable this will be as a segment, and we can see that there's 1.3 trillion of US dollars worth of green bonds issued last year in terms of stock, 99% of those bonds that are in existence globally um, aren't green. So there's an enormous market here potentially. And we can see from the survey that one of the things that CROs are concerned with is the fact that firms haven't made an evaluation fully of what are the opportunities for them commercially in terms of being part of this wider ESG revolution. At the same time, we can see there's a number of risks. So firstly, there's the question of greenwashing that's been flagged by a number of regulators and how far do firms really understand the commitments they're making. Regulators and others have made very clear that if you're holding yourself out as the provider of a green product, then you've got to really understand that what's going on underneath that genuinely meets the environmental standards that you are holding out as a promise. Underpinning that, though, is also the question of the standards being adopted within different regions of the world. So although they're broadly underpinned by the TCFD principles, we are seeing some differences in approach in terms of some of the consultations that are going on now. And I think how that resolves itself is going to be a really important thing for firms to track and to understand. In addition, and sort of again as part of that underpinning, there's the question of disclosure. And that really matters both as a support for those standards, but also because that means there is a higher percentage chance of reputational risk or legal risk. If you're not really genuinely following through on the commitments that you've made as a firm, then those exposures will be, I think, very apparent. And then the final thing, which is linked back perhaps to the opportunity here, is, is as the survey shows, we have CROs who are concerned that their firms have simply not made a full assessment of what the potential commercial opportunities are here. And given the interest that there is within ESG, then that needs to be done on a reasonably urgent basis. So overall, we can see there are there's some really distinct risks here, and some of them are quite big, but also some very, very significant opportunities that firms are facing towards when they think about ESG. Very helpful analysis. We're all looking at this space closely, including the market opportunities and the regulatory response. Mark, maybe the final question for you, and also building on what Sonia and Chris just said, do you have any final thoughts you want to give to our listeners on what we can all do to make our organizations more resilient in this fast-changing world? Martin, I think to kind of summarize where we are, I think if we look back to 2019 when we did our 10th uh, anniversary survey. I, th I think we identified a lot of risks that are still 
impressive today. Sonia mentioned some technology data in terms of some of the risks around the um, privacy and related topics. Chris has noted some around climate. But I think the, the thing that's really changed uh, is, in my mind is two big areas. One is risk professionals and the first line really do need an extended view of resilience. They absolutely cannot take their eyes off financial resilience and operational resilience. Uh, we talked a, a lot about some of the areas there. Um, but actually, as Sonia mentioned, sustaining a focus on technology resilience, really building in res uh, resilience, really building in privacy, driving trust, not doing it after the fact is going to be incredibly important if we can see this continued acceleration. I think we, none of us can take our eyes off the ball on workforce resilience. We all know that long-term, uh, the financial services industry is in a, in a war for talent. Um, those data scientists that Sonia mentioned earlier on, there are plenty of other places that they, they could go and work and do the same. So I think they've got to say that they're focused on uh, the workforce and they've got to sustain that. It wasn't just in the last 19 months. I think there's a new level of focus on culture and people that has got to be sustained and talent and collegiality and all of those good things. As Chris mentioned, I think we can't forget the societal on two dimensions. The one that Chris spent a fair amount of time on with regards to kind of environmental and social, but also geopolitical. They're just bigger issues. Um, they're not just uh, across borders, they're inside borders, so the political dynamics. So I think the, the one thing we definitely learned since 2019 is resilience is a much broader concept, it really is in the eyes of one CRO. It's kind of the, the next thing that's got to be addressed over the next decade or more in a much more integrated way. But I think we also learned, Chris pointed out, we shouldn't just obsess about risk, we should look for opportunities. We really do have this kind of once in a lifetime opportunity on two dimensions. One is to use data and technology to be more efficient, be more effective, to be more client oriented, to deliver more value, to bring more insights. Really, there's a revolution that's just about to take place. If it's well managed, as Sonia said, if there's the right compliance, risk, controls, privacy, et cetera. And then secondarily, I think Chris is spot on. I think sustainable finance, call it ESG, call it climate risk, is probably once in multiple generations. The sheer size of greening financial system is enormous. So I think we learned two things. One, resilience is much broader than we thought it was. That's going to create challenges, particularly scale of change, as Sonia mentioned, and managing all of those dimensions. But on the other hand, there's opportunities. CROs really have a major partnership role with the first line, with their second line colleagues to be not just an observer, but a real dynamic partner in that uh, journey as we look forward to the next decade. Excellent. Thank you for the rich insights. We are unfortunately running out of time. So I wanted to thank uh, Sonia, Chris, and Mark for your great analysis of the banking trends and priorities, for joining me on this IF Global Regulatory Update podcast, and of course, for our longstanding collaboration on this project. The Bank Risk Survey can be found both on the EY and on the IIF website. So I encourage you to go there for more information. We thank everyone for listening to this podcast and hope you all stay safe and healthy. Please consider subscribing to the IF Global Regulatory Update wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.